Duke fans, hello and welcome to episode 210 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We have a special show for you today as we welcome back one of the great analysts in college basketball. But before we do that, I'm Donald Wine, your host for this episode. I'm coming to you from my home in Washington, D.C. As usual, my partners are here first in Atlanta, Georgia, Jason Evans. Jason, how are you holding up? Doing pretty well. I'd love to say, oh, this changed or that changed in my life in the past week or so, but my life is exactly the same as it was beforehand. I think, however, that is not the case for our other partner. Yeah, well, I mean, there is something to be said about consistency, and you are certainly consistent in how you've been doing, which is good. But we also have Sam Klein here. Sam, we had him last week for just a couple of minutes because he was moving out of Durham. Sam, have you made it to your final destination? Yes. So I am, uh, I'm up in Massachusetts. I'm at my parents' house because uh, I am a proud 31 year old who's moving back in with his parents. That's so that's great. Everyone, <laughs> it happens, man. Every, everyone wants to be that. I'd say the interesting things going on in my life right now, I've got a large bedroom just full of my stuff that I need to sort through. Cause I, of course, didn't finish sorting it when I left Durham. And in addition, my family a couple of days ago purchased a uh, electric uh, electric smoker uh, pellet grill, and so we've been learning to use that. So we're 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 hard at work uh, getting all of our clothes nice and smoky and stinky. Um, but we, we ate a brisket yesterday that we smoked out on the pellet grill, and that was really fun and exciting. So it looked uh, good. More uh, on, it looked I good on that, Instagram. I know that barbecue is a. I know that barbecue is a is a favorite topic of conversation on the DBR forums. Um, we we're not we're not pork eaters, but if you have recommendations for us, um, please hit me up because because uh, now now I'm a meat smoking fiend as of two days ago. So that's we, exciting. We, we certainly have the time to do it now. Um, <laughs> exactly. That was so that, that that's the idea. So my my brother, I, I have an older brother who is also here with us, and he and I are like, you know, spending all this time at the house, and we're like, we need we need something to do um, during during these strange times to to occupy us. So this is my one of my projects for the summer is to uh, learn how to use the pellet grill, which is I, I think is totally worthwhile, and I'm having a great time with it. See, and so, I have two. I have two twenty-year-old sons who are also at home, and they seem to think that playing World of Warcraft, like uh, that—that's all they need to do all day long. They have not cooked if, a single meal, not a look, single if, one. <laughs> look, if 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 I had World of Warcraft, I might play that instead. But this is that's fair. You, you have know, a smoker this instead. Is, <laughs> well, you know, in a few years, in a few years, your boys will be a little older and maybe this is something they'll get excited about, uh, you know, doing something productive for their for their family. My my parents were very uh, were very pleased that that the sons were making dinner yesterday. Uh, so that was I think that helped, although my mom is not super thrilled about the amount of smoke that is now around the house. Um, so we have to. We need to figure out how to either contain that or move the smoker somewhere. This is all, it's all still very much in work. As they say, you can't have the lightning without the thunder. So uh, pretty soon <laughs> this episode, or the, at least this podcast will become the Duke barbecue report. But for now, it's still the Duke basketball report. And as mentioned, uh, we had just finished up just moments ago, another wonderful interview with Jay Billis, a former Duke great and the lead college basketball analyst and color commentator on ESPN. We jumped on with him to discuss the incredible all in challenge contest that he is 
helping to put together uh, put together with Duke basketball uh, and ESPN on next year's UNC game. We also talked to him about the Zion Williamson case, the NCAA's plan to pay the players, and if COVID-19 will force any changes to the next college basketball season. Ladies and gentlemen, here's our conversation with none other than Jay Billis. Folks, we have with us once again Jay Billis, lead college basketball analyst for ESPN and, of course, a former Duke great. Jay, it's good to hear from you, and welcome back to the DBR podcast. Your credibility just shot down when you said former Duke great. <laughs> we appreciate you here at the DVR podcast. Well, uh, it's well, not even clear. The credibility killer. You ought to be more careful. <laughs> well, Jay, we have a few topics we want to discuss with you, but I'm going to first start by handing it over to Sam, who's going to begin with a discussion on the fantastic package that you guys have put together for the All In Challenge. So, Sam, take it away. So, for those who hadn't seen it yet, it was promoted heavily on. Duke basketball, uh, social media, and, and lots of other outlets about the all-in uh, challenge package, which is a um, which is a charitable endeavor uh, run by folks at Fanatics and is engaging a lot of uh, people across the the world of athletics. So the way that Duke is involved, along with Jay, are offering this this really incredible package that it includes all kinds of uh, neat behind the scenes things, touring the Blue Devils practice facilities, getting uh, tickets to the Duke UNC game behind the bench. But as Jay will either say is the best part of the package or the worst part of the package, getting to go 94 feet with Jay Billis. So Jay, can you tell us a little bit about how this whole thing came together and what the expectations are perhaps um, for the fundraising effort? Well, it, it came together through Duke and Coach K and, and their basketball office. Uh, I was going through my representation to do an all-in challenge donation for, you know, I have a couple of uh, seats, uh, season tickets at, at Cameron, and I got them primarily so my daughter wouldn't have to wait outside when she was uh, in college. I figured it'd probably be better for her to be in class than a tenth. Um, but it's been great. We, we've kept them and, and it's been fantastic for us because we can just give them to, to people we know or donate them. And, and that's been a lot of fun for us. So I was I was going to do this anyway. And then uh, Duke came up with this thing and, and included me in it, which is fantastic. I mean, I'm just I'm honored to be a part of it. So whatever whatever I can do to, to raise money for COVID-19 relief, I'm, I'm all in. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, all in, child. I'm all in. Uh, didn't even mean to do that. But uh, it, it'll be a, an incredible. I, I can't believe the access that Coach K is allowing for this. Um, I, I, I think it's unprecedented. I've never heard of anybody being allowed into, you know, team meetings and things like that for a game of this magnitude. Um, so it's really extraordinary. And uh, and I know, you know, I know it'll generate a lot of interest and a lot of dollars. So whatever, if 94 feet helps get another five bucks, uh, you know, I, I'm all all for it. Of all the items in the package, which do you think is the is the most exciting for for a fan who's going to bid on this? I think getting to see uh, what goes on in a real practice shoot around uh, team meeting. Um, especially for a game like this, because people can say all they want to. Well, it's you know, it's just another game, and every game's important. Um, you guys know, having been been part of this, I mean, there's a, a heightened sense of everything in the Duke North Carolina game. I mean, you walk into the building, the air's heavier. 
Um, it, it's hotter. Uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know how it happens, but even the lead up to it, uh, in practice, in meetings, it, everything's a little bit more intense and everybody feels it. And, you know, it, I think it, it's incumbent upon the players and the coaches, even the fans <clears throat> to handle it. Uh, but it requires, it, it, it requires more. There, there's no question. Tips for whoever the winner is on how to beat associate head coach, John Shire in a game of horse. Yeah, just enjoy the experience. You're probably, unless you're a, a very good player, you're probably going to lose. Uh, I will tell you that the best thing to do, though, in all of your behind-the-scenes stuff, if you're when you're in the meetings and all that, um, keep your mouth shut. Uh, th- this was probably nine. I can't remember. If it was 1991 or 1992. Um, we were at the Final Four, and I was a grad assistant then. So we were in. Uh, we we had just played a game and. The, the coaching staff is watching film and all this stuff. And, um, and Bob Bender, who had been a, a, an outstanding player at Duke and assistant coach for a number of years, he had gone on uh, to a, another job at Illinois State, I, I think, and then had gone to Washington. He came in to say hello and sit down. He brought a, he brought a buddy of his in. And, uh, and, you know, everybody was talking about certain things. And then the, and then the buddy of Bob's chimed in with his opinion. And then, you know, midway through the sentence, he goes, what am I doing? I can't believe I'm doing this. I just need to you know, shut the blank up. And uh, it was it was hilarious. So I've always thought about that afterwards. You know, when you go into just because you're in the meeting doesn't mean anybody wants to hear what you have to say. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll ask you for a for a general parting shot on the all-in challenge before I hand it over to Jason. I think we're going to inevitably talk some NCAA stuff. So anything else that folks on the, on the items or, or perhaps other ways that people can donate or participate in the all-in challenge? Well, that's a good question, Sam. I don't know, you know, one of the things when you, when you're part of something like this is, you get the you get the the terrific bid. There'll be a tremendous amount of money bid on this, um, but for the for the people who don't get it, um, there's always sort of a feeling that that there's still something you can donate to, and maybe you can find something else, or you know you you want to you want to be a part. Even if you finish second in this thing, you, know, you might not get to do all this, but there, there's still a sort of feels like an obligation on all of us to to do what we can so what what i would what i would ask is whether you get this thing or not if you get it obviously you're going to be coming out of pocket but uh but if you don't um there are probably other ways that that we can all help and and i'm i'm certainly looking to do more if i can i know you guys feel the same way so that's a great message jay um and and what you're talking about there is money and I want to switch us a little bit over toward money and the NCAA. As you are intimately aware, uh, the NCAA has at least taken some steps um, toward uh, allowing players to make money off their name, image, and likeness. It is something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. I've been a longtime advocate of it, and my advocacy of it pales in comparison to yours. We spoke with you about it last time. Um, the NCA, of course, wants to sort of restrict and regulate a little bit of what they're doing. But how do you feel about the moves that the NCA has taken in recent weeks regarding uh, allowing the players to make some money off of their name, image, and likeness? 
Yeah, I think specifically you're talking about the recommendations that were made out of the working group that was chaired by Val Ackerman and Gene Smith. Val Ackerman, the Big East Commissioner, Gene Smith, the uh, uh, Athletic Director of Ohio State. And so those recommendations were put before the NCAA Board of Governors. They were essentially approved. And then now it goes on to the membership for comment and, and, and all that before they try to put some rules together. So really, they're just sort of these recommendations are kind of broad strokes, but most people I've talked to and listened to have said, well, wh where are the rules? Like, what are we going to do? What are the guardrails? What about this? What about that? So it's one of these deals where, where the, the, the recommendations are creating the opportunity for, you know, sort of this rabbit hole of questions, including you know, the, the theater, the absurd, like, you know, what, what, what about if Phil Knight just gives $5 million to every player to go to Oregon, you know, you just stuff like that. And so the issue is what they call them guardrails, but it's really restrictions. So what restrictions are going to be on athletes and schools with regard to making money off name, image, and likeness? And how far is it going to go into their athletic endeavors? So, uh, you know, they want to keep it, the NCAA wants to keep it away from recruiting, which to me seems like a pipe dream and seems really difficult that even, even if you could say that, that the schools aren't, you know, aren't allowed to use it in recruiting, um, they're going to, they're going to say, Hey, this is what our quarterback made last year. We can't imagine you're going to make less. You know, it's going to be part of recruiting and you guys probably don't remember this. I think maybe we've talked about it, but when I was being recruited by Coach K, well, by everybody, you, you could, uh, schools could use alumni in recruiting. And so I used to get alumni letters. Uh, I used to talk to alums from different schools. Um, and, and so Coach K knew that I had an interest in broadcasting. So he hooked me up with a guy named Chuck Howard, who was a, a, a senior producer with ABC Sports. That's how I started working in this field. I started getting jobs as Chuck Howard gave me a job as a production assistant during the summertime when I was in college. So I worked all these events behind the scenes and, and learned the business, not on the air, but off. And that was, that was part of being recruited. That came, I knew that was going to be there for me if I went to Duke. And then if I went to Syracuse, there was you know, some other alums that could help with it. Or if I went to uh, Kansas or Iowa, the other places I was looking at. So I see this as being the same thing. And you know, because money's involved, there, there's an idea that money's going to trump everything. And I look at it as money's just gonna be a factor. You know, just like, you know, when Coach K was being pursued by the Lakers, the Lakers offered to make him the highest paid coach in professional sports. Well, that was a factor. He looked at the money, but he also looked at other things and decided to stay at Duke. So why shouldn't athletes be able to make that same determination that everybody else gets to make? Um, look, I, I'm rambling, but I, I think this is going to, I think the, the reluctance on the part of, of universities and, and the administrators is they, they know where this is headed. They know that if name, image, and likeness, it, it goes forward to this level, that it is going to lead to the players being paid by the universities because that will make this so much easier. Um, like nobody has to, Duke does not have to tell Coach K um, what he can endorse and what he can't. They pay him and then they have the right to make that determination. He can ask, but they can say no. And it, it's, up to the, it's up to the school.
Like they don't have to worry about Coach K signing a deal with Under Armour and wearing Under Armour shoes around. They know because they have an employment contract. And I think it will in the future be the same with athletes. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think we'll figure this out and it'll be just fine. You know, the, the free market works really well for all the rest of us. The idea that it wouldn't work well for college athletes seems seems absurd to me, but but reasonable minds can differ on that. Well, so one of the things that we discussed on the on the podcast a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing this was the notion that it's really easy for the NCAA to say no, that no, you can't get any money. It's also pretty easy for the NCAA to say, okay, Wild West, yes, you can, you know, do whatever you want, athletes. The complicated part is yes, but. Yes, you can get some money, but we're going to restrict it in some ways. Do you think there is a, I mean, you just expressed some skepticism about it. Is there a yes, but answer, or does the NCAA have to go all the way from no, no money to yes, do what you want? Well, I I think you can have some reasonable rules that go around it, but, you know, like. Give give me an example. I mean, I'd love to hear one that you think would work. Well, first of all, let me address sort of the the restriction of Wild 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 West. The way I look at it, and again, reasonable minds can differ, but everybody except college athletes lives in the Wild Wild West. You know, so so we're saying it's Wild Wild West because just because the athletes have never been allowed out, you know, into the economic uh, realm uh, in all these things we're doing. So, look. I don't think anything that an athlete earns or accepts should be restricted at all. So my view is if the NCAA wants restrictions in this space, they they can go ahead and restrict their membership. Say, all right, you're not allowed to give an athlete anything. But if somebody does, then they're the ones that get punished, not the athlete. Like the athlete's not ineligible. The athlete doesn't have to report what they get. We have the IRS for reporting. We don't need the NCAA. <laughs> you know, and, and I don't <clears throat> I don't see why an athlete should have to uh, you know, report to the NCAA what they're making. I don't think we should have to worry about it. Look, if schools want to restrict what an what their athletes do individually, go ahead. That's fine. That's what that's what markets do. Um, individual market competitors can do that. I don't think the NCAA should be saying, okay, here's what every athlete has to do. Here's where you're allowed to sign an autograph. Here's what, you know, they're, they're going to be arguing over what, what apparel is owned by the player going forward. And when Duke gave, you know, the player A this T-shirt, does the player own it or is Duke going to ask for it back? And therefore, is it something that the player can sell? And you're going, Really? Like we're going to yeah. waste our time going, who owns this apparel? Um, it's absurd. And then we're going to say, no, okay, you can sign an autograph here, but you can't sign one there. And as you guys know, you know, people are going to go, well, what's the market value of it? Well, the market value is whatever somebody, somebody wants to pay. Exactly. So, yeah. So if, if, if I'm playing at Duke and, and uh, Duke alum, you know, Iron Duke alum comes up to me and says, I want to buy your autograph for $10,000. Who's going to step in and say, well, that's not market value. Um, that, that's not right. That's not fair. We're not going to do that. Well, yes, we are. Because that, I, I was just offered that. And like one of the things you guys know, too, is, is so right now, aside from all this NIL stuff, right now, a player, an athlete, college athlete can go get a, get a job. 
So if I'm playing at Duke, I could go work at, I could go work as a bartender at, at Satisfaction back when it was in Lakewood Shopping Center. <laughs> I could go do that, right? And, you know, what stopped an alum from coming in and giving me a thousand dollar tip for every drink I poured? You know, there was nothing that stopped that. And could they have, could the NCAA have said, okay, you have to report all your income and it has to be, yeah, you can do that. But there's always going to be things that, that people are going to go, well, wait a minute, that, that, that doesn't, that's not fair. That doesn't seem right or doesn't feel right. Well, that's the way markets work. And, and I think they'll, will reach an equilibrium. Like are, are Duke alums out giving coach K hundred dollar handshakes and giving him money and you know, no, like, we ought to just open this up and let it let it happen. It's really not that big of a deal. And and we're holding on to this idea of purity that has never existed. And and you know, back in the day, you know, in the 60s and 70s and 80s and all that stuff, players sold their tournament tickets. They sold them to alumni. It happened all the time. It was an organized business. And people want to harken back to when things were pure, like players weren't paid back then. Of course they were. They're paid now. Um, it's still happening. But but I always laugh that in the glory days of, of cheating back in the day, the players got the money. You know, now other people get the money by brokering the players. And and I, I think that's even more egregious and exploitative than uh, than sort of the old days of cheating. So let's move on to a different topic, but one that is intimately connected to this. Uh, Zion Williamson. Uh, we all heard it became a huge news in the past week or so that uh, that this lawsuit that Zion is involved in and the allegation in the lawsuit that Zion was paid by someone, paid by representatives from Nike and Adidas to wear their shoes, even paid by someone to come to Duke. Give me your thought. I, I, I recognize that that it's just allegations. I recognize that it's probably just lawyers throwing stuff against the wall and trying to see if anything sticks. I recognize that it may just be a guy trying to embarrass Zion Williamson into making a settlement in this lawsuit so that he doesn't have to deal with all this. What, what's your feeling about, about that story and, uh, you know, and, and, and what, it, what it said about Zion Williamson? Well, first, there are a lot of layers to this. So first, the, the, the most recent news about, you know, sort of, as you put it, the allegation that, that Zion Williamson received money or his family or, or someone on his behalf received money in violation of NCAA rules. Those were, were from what's called requests for admission in the discovery process of a lawsuit. Now, I forget you're a lawyer. <laughs> most, people don't, most people don't know sort of what this lawsuit is about. Zion Williamson brought this lawsuit. He is suing uh, someone with whom he had a contract for representation and, and suing to say well, that contract was invalid. I'm, and Zion went with, with CAA in, in, uh, and sort of left this original representative. So the, the, he sued her. She's suing him now, a countersuit for, I think, $100 million. And he's worth a lot of money. That's a, this, is a big, this is a big deal from a financial standpoint. So as part of, of what they call discovery, pretrial discovery, uh, you, you, know, you can sit people down for depositions, you can submit written questions that are called interrogatories, and you can submit requests for admission. Now, requests for admission can be you know, admit or deny that your name is Zion Williamson, uh, admit or deny that you took the, admit or deny this, and it, 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 obvi it can obviate the need to prove something at trial. 
Um, so just because it was requested for admission or denial doesn't mean it's true, but, but it also doesn't mean it's false either. So I don't know, I don't know who knows, aside from those involved, whether there's an evidentiary basis for any of these requests for admission. There could be uh, a motivation that they're trying to, as, as I think somebody put it, trying to embarrass or potentially uh, embarrass to, to force a settlement. Um, who knows? There are legitimate reasons for these things, and there, there are reasons that, that people might not consider uh, reasonable. Uh, the, the issue, though, is what happens from here. Um, and one of the things is, you know, there may be a scenario. I don't know what Zion Williamson's family was doing with regard to AAU basketball. Um, there are a lot of parents, guardians, um, friends of the family who coach and have AAU programs and take shoe money uh, as part of their AAU programs. Mar that Marvin, ba Marvin Bagley's father famously exactly. did that. Yeah. And there, there are nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Well, nothing illegal about it. Um, right. right. You, you may be able to argue there is something intrinsically wrong with it, but there's nothing illegal. There's nothing illegal uh, and there's nothing against NCAA rules. There were a lot of people that thought all the things that happened in the FBI investigation, there was nothing wrong with either. And that it, tur you know, it turned out people sitting now, now prosecutors saying those are federal crimes. So we'll, we'll see what happens with a lot of that stuff. But, uh, but I, don't, I don't see it being a, uh, a major issue for for Duke, like there's to me the allegation that somehow the Duke University was involved in it. Um, I don't see any any rational basis for that. But you know you know the world we're living in now. Well, and and look, Duke fans are part of this too. Um, something happens somewhere else, you assume it to be true, and and stones get thrown. See, I told you that kind of thing. And then when it visits. Uh, closer to home, then it's obviously it's not true. Um, we just have to wait for it to play out. And I'm, you know, one of the things like in my job, um, and I've I've seen a little bit of this on Twitter. People saying, "Oh, you know, look how quiet you are when it's Zion Williamson. You know, it's hitting close to you." There's nothing to report yet. Those are just requests for admission. When there's something for me to jump in on, I will jump in on. Uh, but right now, we, we don't have any. We don't have anything concrete yet. As soon as we do, you'll hear plenty from me. Uh, but right, and I, I will answer any question on the air or off that I'm asked. But as far as like you know, jumping into this situation there uh, on Twitter or uh, writing articles about it, I don't know enough yet to be able to take a stand on anything. But I can explain. Hey, here's here's what here's what's going on. Uh, and here's the likelihood uh, of of seeing more uh, depositions, all that stuff. We'll, we'll see a lot more going forward. But who knows? Like the, what ha this case could could be dismissed as well um, because there are motions to dismiss that are pending. Uh, there's an argument that that Williamson's contract with this uh, this agent that he is suing was invalid because it violated uh, the uniform, you know, athletes. Uh, uh, act athletes agent act in North Carolina and was invalid on its face. Now, if that carries the day, lawsuit gets dismissed. None of this goes forward. So we'll see what happens. Right now, we just we I don't know enough, and I don't know who does. 
So Jay, let me ask you about, about Duke's role in this story, because one of the things that I've seen a lot of people talk about is the story is getting extra attention. There's sort of extra excitement maybe in the Duke hater universe because it is connected to Duke and because so many people consider Duke maybe a little bit holier than thou about, you know, oh, we're one of the top programs, but we would never pay. We never, you know, all that other kind of stuff, which, which we all believe to be true. We all, you know, you, you know, Coach K intimately well, and I'm, I'm sure you would say he's just not someone who would ever endanger his program by doing this kind of thing. But I, I want to know if you think this story is, again, getting that extra attention because of Duke and, and talk about maybe talk a little bit about the Duke hatred that you see inside the media, not from fans, but but is there any in the media where folks are like eager to see if they can catch Duke the same way other schools have been caught in the past? Well, um, first, uh, I don't think this is getting any more attention because it's Duke sort of from the media. I think it's been reported right down the line uh, and, and completely fairly. Here's the factual thing. Here's what's likely. You know, I have seen some opinion pieces saying here's where this could be a problem for Duke. And th- those are all fair game. Uh, I, don't, I don't see how you have uh, a, a program that's as successful as Duke and a coach that's as successful as Coach K and, and people don't discuss this. Of course it's going to be discussed. Um, that, that's, part of the, that's part of the game and, and part of the, sort of part of the deal. The, the, the vitriol that's coming from sort of Duke haters, as uh, is, is I think it was, was presented, um, I get that. I mean, it's look. It's much the same again. Not not to not to make some sort of moral equivalence or any kind of equivalence here, but but it, it's like it's like going on a, a Duke chat site or whatever these things are called and saying, uh, "You guys really think you were fair during the North Carolina um, academic issue?" When when people like me were saying, "Look, that was what happened there was wrong," but there's no NCAA case here. And people going crazy over it. Um, you, you don't think it was a little more dramatic on the Duke side than it was, you know, maybe from UCLA fans or University of Washington fans or Wisconsin fans. I think it was. And so, of course, it's going to be a little bit like that. Um, and But I, I have no problem with all that stuff. What fans think and what fans, fan opinions, those are fine. Those aren't controlling. Um, now, what media does is a different deal. Do I think that there are media members that want to see Duke take? No, I do not. No reasonable ones that I know. Do I, do I think that there are those that, that understand that there's an underground economy here and it touches everyone? Um, I do. I do think there, there are those that, that, that see it that way. And, and I don't think they're necessarily wrong in feeling that. Um, here's, here's one thing that, that's, I think, important for everyone to understand, but especially, especially since we're, we're talking about Duke fans in a way here, and that is, there is not a fan base out there that can say all our players are eligible. Not one, not one. It is impossible for a, a team or a program to say, all of our, none of our players have taken anything that would compromise their eligibility. Nobody can say that and, and, and feel comfortable. They can say, we've investigated this, we've vetted this, and we have found no violation. They can't say any more than that because they don't know. It's impossible 
It's, a, it's like saying, it's like saying nobody in our program has ever exceeded the speed limit. <laughs> it's a, I think it's exactly the same. And, what? and, you know, we all think, we all think we're responsible citizens and we all, we all do the right thing on the road. Um, but are, are we willing to say that no one in my family has ever exceeded the speed limit or used a cell phone while driving? It's the same thing. And, and, and I know some people are going to go, oh, shut up. You know, we've never done anything. It's, it, there's a difference between somebody knowing it happened and, and condoning and being part of it and having it happen. Like, you, you know, it's almost like the NCAA argument now with Louisville saying, hey, wait a minute. If Brian Bowen wanted to go to school there, you should have known something was wrong. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's, you know, we got to be reasonable here. You can't say, wait a minute, a good player wants to come here. Um, there's got to be something we're missing. There's, you know, that, that's crazy. And you, someone will make that argument saying if Zion Williamson wanted to go to school there, when because they're they're drawing conclusions from something was said on a something was said in a text message at Kansas. Therefore, uh, it, it therefore it, it indicates something's wrong here. Um, now maybe there is, maybe there's not. But but it's hard for me to listen to any fan from anywhere say it's dirty over there, but it's completely clean here. And that's, well, not, that's not the way the world works. And, I, I, let's not, let's not forget that Corey Maggette took money before coming to Duke 20 years ago. And there is a lot more money and a lot more going on under the table today than there was 20 years ago. So, yeah. yeah and, I, and, and, you know, look, it, it, and again, you're not trying to say that, that, like that's why I think all this should be above boards. I don't think there's anything wrong with all this stuff, but but there there are very few really good players in in any sport, but especially in football and basketball, that are are strictly eligible according to the rules. Now it doesn't mean you know sort of we're talking about uh, egregious violations, but like somebody didn't didn't have a dinner check picked up by somebody or something something somewhere happened. It's almost impossible to live your life without violating an NCAA rule. It's almost impossible. We're going to take a quick pause in this interview for a quick commercial break. But afterwards, we talk with Jay Bills about living in a post-COVID world with college basketball and also his thoughts on the recently departed Phyllis George. More after this. Jay, I want to shift focus to the future of college basketball. But before we do that, we kind of need to go back in time to March 11th, which seems like the beginning of time at this point. Uh, But at that point, you're at the ACC tournament. The decision is made to cancel the tournament. Uh, Rudy Gobert contracts the virus. NBA suspends the season. All this happens within like 16 hours. Take us back to what that was like for you. And as you're getting news, did it sink in? at that moment that college basketball was done? Yeah, oh, it, it sunk in before that. Uh, so if you'll recall that Monday, uh, the AC tournament was was canceled on Thursday about noon, give or take, mm-hmm. uh, That Monday, the uh, Ivy League canceled their tournament. They were the first ones to, at least in the college space, say, we're not doing this at all. And they were kind of way ahead of everything. 
And that was the first thing where, where I realized, man, we, we got an issue here. And uh, right before that, uh, it was actually about a week before that, a really good friend of mine who's a, a prominent uh, physician had called me and said, you need to stop flying. And I was like, what? Like, no, that seemed like alarmist to me. And I said, well, I'm going to Dayton this weekend for game day. Uh, you know, we're supposed to, we, we went to, to Dayton and then uh, flying to get to the Duke Carolina game that Saturday. Uh, so I said, well, I've got to do this. He says, after that's over, you need to really think about this. And, uh, and so I, I was on alert and then he started sending me literature, like here, here are some medical journal articles. You need to read this. Here's what this means. Here's what flattening the curve is, all these different things. So I was, I'm very grateful he did that. So I felt like when I got to Greensboro, um, I was, I was miles ahead of where I would have been otherwise, as far as wrapping my head around what we were dealing with. And Wednesday, it, it was on Wednesday when the World Health Organization declared it a global pandemic where I go, okay, we're not playing. Like, and then the NCAA came out and said, no fans at the NCAA tournament. And like, you know, and they announced it without telling the conferences. So the conferences were playing games Wednesday night with full arenas. And it made everybody look, the, the lack of coordination, the decision was, was correct. There was nothing wrong with the decision. But the lack of coordination really made everything look kind of kind of sketchy. So the next day, I'm thinking we're not playing at all, and uh, and got to the arena. I was on a show called Packer and Durham at 9 a.m. Uh, they uh, uh, West Durham and Mark Packer asked me what should happen, and I said I, I think play should be suspended. They, there's no way that we can play. John Swafford came on right after me and said we're playing, and I couldn't believe it. Um, I was just like, there, there's something wrong about this. We got all the way to noon. I mean, and, and we were having discussions, you know, ESPN, the ACC, they were, so no fans, but the bands were there and the cheerleaders were there. And, you know, a few, a few family. Um, and they were going to shut the lights out for pregame introductions. And you're like, for what? There's nobody here. Um, <laughs> But they, they were going to, you know, all the things that were being discussed, it was, it was so bizarre. And then I think I was on SportsCenter at noon or so live uh, courtside and Florida State ran onto the floor and their band started playing. And I, I, I should go back and get the video. But I think I said, you know, this just feels wrong. This feels tone deaf. And, uh, and I, had, I talked to a couple coaches from other teams that said, I don't think we're coming. Uh, over for the later games, um, and, and you can see things kind of falling apart in a way. And uh, and then John Swafford, to his credit, came out and said, "We're done." And they handed the regular season trophy and the automatic bid to Florida State on the floor. And uh, and I was there the rest of the day. I left there about nine o'clock at night. And uh, and when I drove home, to, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. Drove the hour and a half home, and I haven't really been more than a mile and a half from my house since then. I mean, it was really wild just kind of watching it in real time because, like you said, they were they were running out in the court for for warmups, and and then all of a sudden, like it seemed like two minutes later, you're on Sports Center talking about the ACC tournament was canceled. Obviously, the NCAA tournament eventually canceled, but during this hiatus, what have you been hearing from players and coaches about what they're doing and whether? returning to play will, will come with a different mindset, particularly uh, if you've had any conversations with Coach K and the Duke staff about what they're going to do 
in this COVID world we live in? Well, I think to, the first part of the question, what are they doing now? I think most programs are trying to do the best that they can to keep all their players engaged and uh, you know, make sure that their mental health is, is okay. Because it, it, as you guys know, we're all going through this uh, at the same time. And it, 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 none of this is escaping any of us. I mean, I have certain days where, you know, you feel down. Even I read an article the other day about Zoom fatigue. And, and I felt it too. Like, like I've, I've been exhausted by these Zoom things. And, uh, and there was an article by, that, that basically said, you know, the, the, there's a range of emotions that you go through on these Zoom things that, that you're distant from people. You know, there's a part of it you like seeing them. There's another part of it. You're, you, you know, it just reminds you of all the things you're missing. And it's, it's kind of depressing. So uh, I think they're, they're making sure how do we take care of our players make sure that they're developing as best they can um, and staying engaged. Uh, I know a lot of coaches, especially assistants, are, are trying to use the time for professional development. You know, we've all got more time than we otherwise would, would have. So how are we using that time? And so I think they're all wrapping their heads around that, trying to, how can we get better, uh, trying to stay up with, okay, when we do come back, what's it going to be like? How do we handle it? How do we educate the players, bring about all these different things? So there's a lot going on. Um, as far as what it's going to look like, I don't. that's where I don't think anybody knows. So on one hand, you've got the NCAA um, sort of making decisions and, and we're going to push this back. We're going to allow this where, you know, the draft decisions, all this stuff. And then they're also going, uh, I don't want to say full steam ahead, but they're moving ahead in other areas where, all right, we're going to, you know, table the transfer talk for now. Uh, we're moving forward on name, image, and likeness. And, you know, coaches are going, now? Like, don't we have other, like, th so there's a whole bunch of stuff going on that, you know, people are questioning. And, and now we're questioning the very, you know, services that the NCAA provides. Do we need the NCAA? You know, what's going to happen? What, what if everybody can't play? And now you've got stuff going on where Mark Emmert came out and said the other day that, they're not going to mandate a start to the season. And it's going to be basically state by state and, and league by league, institution by institution. And so you've got other people jumping in saying, uh-huh, I thought you said uh, we couldn't have different rules in different states or we couldn't have fair competition when it was in IL, but now we can do it when it's COVID. So, you know, everybody's like, there are all these leverage points that are being used right now that are, it's fine. I mean, I don't have a problem with it. It's, it's, I'm doing some of it myself. But one of the things this points up is there's nobody in charge. Like, we don't have anybody in charge. And that's really, really difficult. Like, the NBA speaks with one voice. The NFL speaks with one voice. They have committees and all that. But you don't see all these different committees and coaches out there, um, you know, sort of jumping uh, in front of a microphone and, and giving conflicting uh, thoughts. In, in the college space, since there's nobody in charge, you've got all these different uh, viewpoints that are being shot at, and they're changing uh, all the time. At first, can't have, uh, can't have competition if students are not in school. I mean, a bunch of people said it. Mark Emmert said it. Val Ackerman said it. Bob Bowlesby said it. And now it's, well, if we have online education, we're open. So they, the, the students, the, the athletes can be on campus as long as we're having classes online or not. So now that's changing. 
And, you know, but some of it's reasonable. Like you guys tell me what you think about, but I mean, there's an argument to be made that a football team may be better off being on campus when the entire student body isn't on campus with them. Who knows? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm, I'm willing to let the individual schools make their own decisions on it or the conferences make their own decisions. We'll adjust from there. Well, you mentioned you mentioned Mark Emmer and, and some of his comments. Another thing that he mentioned, uh, which you just said, college sports will not be played in the fall if college students are not back on campus. So, uh, of course, the answer you give to this is going to be what we hear today, tomorrow. Obviously, th- everything can change. At this point right now, do you think college basketball will start on time this fall? Do you think there'll be some sort of delay? Or do you fear that it may not be played at all in 2020, 2021? I don't know. Um, I, 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 right now, I think it's likely that we have a season. Uh, I don't think it's likely that it starts uh, according to last year's calendar that we have a game, you know, like it's going to start with the Champions Classic in November and we're not going to have adaptations, adjustments, things like that. I think we will have that uh, because we're not going to, you know, you can't even look at a schedule and say, well, is everybody on our schedule going to be playing? You know, we don't, you know, we don't really know that. Um, you know, football, they're, they're already talking about it. Like the Southeastern Conference is playing football. <laughs> I think <laughs> the SEC is playing football. They don't care. Uh, you know, the <laughs> of Auburn University comes out and says, we're, we're having fraternity and sorority activities. We're having this, we're having that. Like they're playing football. And what this has pointed up, and I don't mean this in a craven way because I, I understand the business and I have, I've never had a problem with, with the money in the game. I've had a problem with, the, with, you know, with restricting money in one area while we're, we're having this, this gigantic multi-billion dollar business. But, you know, this is the entertainment industry. And like football and basketball is the entertainment industry. And it's been made clear they have to play to generate this revenue. I mean, they have to, and they're going to. Um, And I'm not saying they're doing it like they're willing to put people at risk to do it, uh, unnecessary risk. I don't mean that. But just sort of this idea that, that, well, you know, athletes uh, cannot be put at any greater risk than the general student population. Of course they can, and they will be. Um, of course they will be, uh, the, the, but the, the thing we, we've never had the society, or at least not yet had the societal conversation of sort of what the scientists are saying that, look, once, once the curve is flattened and we've got, we've got more of a downward trend, that doesn't mean that we've totally stopped the spread of this. It is going to, to continue to spread. And at some point we're absent of vaccine, we're going to have 60 to 70% of our population exposed to this and, and infected. Um, what are we willing to tolerate and how, how much of, of life are we willing to go back to while this is happening? And what, so what happens if we have football in the fall and a player tests positive before a game? Does that mean that the whole team doesn't play or, or, you know, are we keeping, are we keeping, you know, parts of the team separate? How many players are on the sidelines? You know, we're going to have players test positive. We're going to have coaches test positive. It's going to happen. It's a certainty. But how, we, we don't really have a plan in place for how we're going to handle it. And you don't have, you don't have a, a one voice saying, well, here's the right thing to do. Um, it, it, it's, really, it's really difficult. And so on that, sort of on that, uh, on that front, you cut 
everybody a lot of slack, but it's it's what this has done is point up that there are a lot of structural inefficiencies within the NCAA that are going to make this really difficult. And, and and the truth is, last thing, the NCAA, like Mark Emmert has no say over football, none. So he, he can make all these proclamations that he wants to. Um, the NCAA office has no say over football, not the college football playoff. Like, and, and so when last year, when, or, or not last year, but, but sort of the, the spring uh, season, the NCAA canceled, they didn't cancel spring sports. They canceled spring championships. That's all they do is they run championships. So they could cancel the NCAA tournament. They couldn't tell the conferences don't play your tournament. And they couldn't tell Duke don't, don't, you need to stop playing. If, if everybody wanted to keep playing, they could have kept playing. They just canceled their tournament. And, uh, and that's what they did with the spring sport championships. But if baseball wanted to keep playing, there was nothing the NCAA really could have done to stop that unless the board of governors, uh, you know, everybody got together and, and, and agreed. So one thing that we've been talking about over the last, you know, couple months uh, is something that really stood out for me. What you said in the immediate aftermath of this is that the players are shook. And at this point, it's easy to say, I mean, it's probably likely that some players will still be shook about this in the fall and not want to play. And even some teams that won't field uh, or schools that won't field the basketball team this year. How big do you think is the possibility that for division one basketball, 353 teams in division one, how big is the possibility that that is greatly reduced? I don't, that's a good, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. I think there's so much, there's so much that needs to shake out in, in this whole thing. One of the things that that I think will be uh, it could be problematic in this is um, are are we going to play football and basketball and then compromise some other sports and say well it's not worth the risk in these other sports like it's worth the risk here it's not worth the risk here and and you know do you have do you feel like if you're playing these sports if you play football do you feel like is that boxing some of these folks in some of these decision makers in to 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 play everything else. And to play it at the same level, um, it, it's going to be a. There, there's so many things that are going to are going to crop up in this that that I, I probably can't even wrap my head around and imagine. Um, but I'm hopeful. Like there, we got really good people in charge. You know, in charge of their respective uh, conferences and universities. Just because you know that that some of us may differ on this issue or that issue doesn't mean that you know everybody's craven in their pursuit of money. It, it's not the issue. Um, this is hard stuff, um, but we're gonna we're, we're gonna have some hard decisions going forward. And look, you guys probably saw this. I, I I'm, I'm embarrassed that I didn't think about this, but Gary Parish of CBS wrote an article about what about the. 70-year-old coaches in, in the ACC. Like, what do they do? And, you know... Coach K, talking. Roy Williams, uh, Leonard Hamilton. Yeah, there's there's Bayheim, several yeah. of them. Yeah, Bayheim, yeah. So, you know, if if older, quote-unquote, older people are more at risk, you know, it, d- does that factor in? Um, there are all kinds of things that, that, that are going to come up in this that we don't, you know, we hadn't really contemplated and thankfully have never had to. Uh, I wish I had all the answers. I'm not not close to having any. But uh, but man, I, one thing I do know is we're going to have to be able to adapt to a new normal, and uh, and you know it's not going to be pleasant. 
Um, but if we, if we think we can get back to, uh, but we're doing it according to account. We're trying to keep to a calendar right now, and I'm not sure that's gonna that's gonna hold up. Um, I think Dr. Fauci said, you know, the, the timetable, the virus is the timetable. You know, we're not gonna, and right now we're talking about well, when when can we start having football teams back on campus so they can work out? How long do they need to work out uh, to where it's safe for them? What sort of protocols come in? What happens here? What happens there? You know, can USC and, and Alabama play their football game when California is going to be shut down? Is it fair to have one team has practice, this team doesn't? You know, we're, we're going to have a lot of these issues that are going to that are going to crop up. I think so. When it comes to this, you, you talked about there's a new normal. We're living in that new normal right now. Do you think that it eventually will lead to structural changes in the game of college basketball, or do you think it should lead to structural changes, things that we can take from this going forward so that when the next pandemic happens, and it will happen, that we don't have to adjust as much as we've had to in this new normal? Yeah, I, th I think there are going to be a lot of changes, and this may be a little bit, I think it's on topic, but a little bit different than maybe we were thinking when we started talking about this, but Probably five years ago, I was in a uh, sort of a board meeting at Duke, and and I sat with a, a gentleman who, you know, like most board meetings, are you know, people I sit next to are twenty times smarter than I am. So we were talking about he, he was educating me on how, what he felt were going to be the the changes in higher education going forward, and he pointed out to me he said he said the the current model of people of differing interests clustering together in one location, the days of that are numbered, that soon the model is going to be people of similar interests that are connecting from remote locations, which sounds a lot like online education to me. Um, and, and what we're about, what we're seeing now that, that we can, you know, business is going to change because more people are going to, we're seeing that you actually can be productive and work from home, that being in a, an office cluster may not be the the most cost-effective thing or the, the best thing for efficiency. Um, and, and so higher education is going to change. Uh, and we're going to see a number of schools, I believe, we're going to see a number of colleges down the, down the line that aren't going to make it through this um, if, if this keeps going the way it, it appears to be going. So does that mean that the NCAA is going to change structurally? I think, it, I think it is. I think conferences are going to change. I think we're going to see that 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 people are going to say, well, wait a minute, why are we spending all this money to have a have a a, a lacrosse team that's playing on the East Coast, you know, fly to Texas for a, a lacrosse game when we could have these teams playing more regional schedules? Um, so we might see that going forward, and then we might see. I think the Power Five is going to be in a situation where they're going to say, we're different, and maybe we should. Maybe we should do our own thing. Um, those discussions are going to be had because the, the economics are going to change. Um, if these schools start changing, um, you know, we're, we're, I read an article the other day where they're talking about some of these, some of these schools are going to be partnering with technology companies. So you're going to see MIT and Google, you know, <laughs> partnering. Um, so who knows, who knows what's going to happen, but I think it's going to be substantially different going forward than it is now. And uh, and I don't see how how the Power Five schools are going to be exempt from that. We're going to see a lot of changes, and uh, you're going to see a lot of places say, "Okay, we got to make cuts because of the current economics." And then you're going to see other places, maybe the same places, say, 
you know what? We needed to trim a lot of this fat anyway. And we got fat because we could. And it wasn't right the way we were spending our money. And so this is going to force us to make decisions that we probably should have made anyway. Our athletic department does not need to be this big. We do not need to be build facilities like this. We do not need this many people on our staffs. Like this is absurd. And uh, so we'll probably see some of that too. Jay, you've been incredibly generous with your time and you've answered all our questions with such thoughtful answers. I just want to hit on one more thing at the very, very end. Uh, Phyllis George, the the legendary sportscaster, uh, I, I'm not sure if she was technically the first female sportscaster. I feel like she was uh, passed just uh, just yesterday, I believe. Um, you actually knew Phyllis George. I believe you said that you represented her in a lawsuit. Do you have any reflections on you're, you're a broadcaster and she she is unquestionably a trailblazer and an important figure in, in the broadcast uh, sports broadcasting industry. Can, can you reflect for a moment on on her and, and what she meant? Sure. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, uh, Phyllis George was the only woman on uh, professional sports broadcasts. And when, uh, like, I was fortunate, I did, I, I was the color analyst on Brent Musburger's last college basketball game. Oh, wow. And, isn't that amazing? Like, I can, I can end careers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was I was the color analyst on Dick Enberg's last college basketball game and on Brent Musburger's. So the night before we we uh, we did the game, uh, we had this we had this dinner where we had all you know all of our people, all of our crew. I mean, it was awesome. And and Brent kind of he's so gracious. I mean, what an unbelievable uh, not only broadcaster but an unbelievable person. So uh, he's telling stories and holding court. And people were talking about the NFL Today, which was the show uh, back in the day. And so the NFL Today was Brent Musburger, Phyllis George, Irv Cross, and Jimmy the Greek. And so I grew up on this. I remember this so vividly. (laughs) It was unbelievable. So, so Jason, like, see if this doesn't resonate with you because it, it, it knocked me to the floor. So people were talking about what that, you know, different members of the crew, me, whatever, we're talking about that show and sort of the impact that it had. And Brent kind of said, now you guys need to realize something. He goes, do you realize that that show was on a half hour a week? That was it. A half hour a week. And those, the, the, those people were broadcast icons. Brent Musburger was on a half hour a week with football. And, and it just showed like the power back, like we didn't have the ubiquitous coverage that we have now where, you know, you have uh, ESPN 24 hours a day and all this right. other stuff. And, and it was everywhere. And, and so Phyllis George was, um, like she's been referred to as a pioneer and a trailblazer and all, I'm not even sure that covers it with her. Um, she was an amazing um, presence and to be able to handle all that she had to handle and to be that kind of role model for so many young young women who aspired to that. And I think Hannah Storm said, in order to be it, you have to see it. And she was, Phyllis George was what Hannah Storm and so many others saw and, and gave them the, the, the feeling, I, I can do this too now. And uh, so she, she was amazing. And, and when... When I was, uh, you know, I guess technically I, I was her lawyer uh, or one of her lawyers. 
and uh, and she couldn't have been nicer and she was fabulous to work with. Um, but you know, you kept reminding yourself, oh my God, this is Phyllis George I'm talking about or talking to her, uh, you know, when she'd call on the phone about something or we'd, uh, we'd talk about the case. Um, hey, she, hey she I, just, I, 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 I hate to be crass and ask this, was she as beautiful in real life as she was on television? I mean, yes. I was in love with her. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and just uh, so uh, uh, dignified, but at the same time, you know, normal, if that makes any sense. Like you were, you were at ease talking to her, uh, could not have been nicer. And, uh, uh, but you could, but she was also tough. Um, you know, when she made a decision or all that, she was, she was fantastic. Um, I did not know uh, the news uh, of her passing uh, uh, was shocking to me because at age 70, you're like, what? I, did, I did not know she was battling a, a, a blood disorder. But um, yeah, that was that was really, really jarring. But what a what an amazing um, I, I'm, I'm glad that that, at, you know, in her tributes that uh, it's being shown like what uh, how out front and ahead of her time she was as a as a broadcaster and how she was able to so deftly handle what was what was really difficult because you know it's not like everybody thought you know have at that time having a woman on an NFL broadcast was you know it's not not everybody was accepting of that. Um, uh, it, 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 she was amazing. Well, Jay, we really appreciate you uh, joining us once again. I know it's been a couple months, and uh, we, we're glad to see you, A, doing well during this, but also uh, really appreciate your time and your insight on everything. So thank you for coming on the podcast. No, my pleasure. You guys call me anytime. It's always a pleasure. Well, we'll check you out soon. And, guys, our many thanks to Jay Billis for once again joining us on the podcast he always has tremendous insight, and we really, really appreciate him coming back on. That's going to do it for us on episode 210 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Don't forget, if you have questions for us or if you have a topic that you want to hear us discuss, send it to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next week at some point. Uh, I know we're going to talk about the end of the last dance, but until then, for Sam in Massachusetts and for Jason in Atlanta, I'm Donald in Washington, D.C. Stay safe, everyone, and Duke Van, play us out with a wonderful melody.